Today's episode is sponsored by Jonas Paul Eyewear. Stylish kids' glasses with an impact. Mercedes, I know you know about style and your babies are the coolest. You know it. So tell us how cute these glasses are. Okay, listen. It's so hard to find on-trend glasses for kids, and these are the cutest glasses I've seen. Yes. And have you ever used a home try-on kit for glasses? No, but it sounds super fun, and I feel like your kids get to play dress-up. We have Jonas Paul glasses, and this past year, Brooksie, my eight-year-old, needed glasses, so we got a home try-on kit from Jonas Paul. Brooksie loves looking good. He actually legit wore a bow tie all on his own for picture day. Having a kit at home was perfect for him. They sent us seven frames and he had a week to walk around in them and make his own opinion. And it was really nice to not have that quick, we have 10 minutes in a store and there's fluorescent lights and we need to decide feeling. When he picked his frame, We put our order in online and we shipped the box of trial glasses back with the free shipping label provided. Super easy. So you have Jonas Paul glasses at your house and you know what? So does Heather. Yeah, that's right. Mason has them. She's worn Jonas Paul glasses for a couple of years now. We all know that getting glasses to fit on our kids with Down syndrome can be difficult. There's a flatter nose bridge that our kids have and lower set ears, and that can make getting glasses to fit a challenge. Here's the thing about Jonas Paul. Their nose pads are designed specifically for children's noses. They also have these unique adjustable tips that you can bend for a custom fit. So you can make it fit to your child's perfect little face. These glasses are so affordable, half the price of most of the children's glasses out there. Plus, here's the best part, every frame sold prevents childhood blindness in the developing world. It's so great. You know that Jonas Paul now sells glasses for teenagers and our kids are growing up. They're growing up fast and we are gonna need those teenager sizes before we know it. For first time customers, Jonas Paul is offering 15% off. Use the promo code THELUCKYFEW at checkout. Visit their website, jonaspauleyewear.com, to learn more. Hey, friends. Welcome to episode 55 of the Lucky Few podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Heather. Mercedes. And Micah. And friends, we are so excited. And maybe, if I'm honest, a little nervous to jump into our conversation today about puberty and how it affects our kids with Down syndrome. We happen to have an awesome expert with us today um, as our guest who can equip us to handle this tricky topic with our kids. So we're so excited to get this conversation going. Thank you for joining us, friends, and welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. All right, girls, ladies, listeners, um, today's the day. (laughs) The day has come. The day where we are having a conversation about puberty. This has been a topic that people have been asking for for a while. One that I have mentioned here and there, if you've been a listener, um, needing in my life. If you are my friend, then I've spoken a lot about it in depth (laughs) off air. Um, But can we just talk about how scary puberty is? Totally. Yeah. Does it feel scary it. to anybody or just to me? <laughs> no, no. I mean, Heather, you and I both have 11 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, your 11 year old happens to have Down syndrome. Mine does not. Um, and I'm terrified. I'm, I'm totally terrified. And I, and he's not, he's a boy. He's not even getting a period. How many times have we talked about periods on this show? I feel like in the past six months. It's probably Mm -hmm. come up seven or eight times. (laughs) I think that if we had people, okay, if a listener wants to go through and listen to every episode and tell us how many times we'll send you a narrative shifter sweatshirt. (laughs) Ooh, exciting. (laughs) So we can confirm that. Mercedes, do you feel nervous about this or not yet? Because it's just too far away. It's too far away. Not yet. And I was just trying to look up actually, who's the youngest sister in Little Women? You know, Kirsten, what's her name? Amy. Amy. 
I mean, the character Amy. Yes. So I'm a little bit giddy, like Amy, like can't wait to grow up. Like I love love. And I, I actually look at puberty that way. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a woman. Like I, <laughs> I really do. I think it's super cute. And I'm probably going to throw sunflower period party. And I don't mind that. <laughs> now the episode we talk about sex and down syndrome, that's when you're mm. going to lose me. <laughs> that's the way I'm going to be like, you guys, I, I don't know. This is too much. This is a lot, but puberty, I'm not that scared of. I don't know why I just get giddy about it and all the girly stuff. When should I have her start shaving? Are we going to shave mm-hmm. tampons or pet? It's all exciting to me. I don't know. Ask me again. And I'm going to ask years. you again in about five years. <laughs> I really hope I get invited to Sunny's period party, Ooh, though. Yes, you, you and Ace. I love it. Something that I love, though, and it just goes along with why I, I just absolutely adore people with Down syndrome, is I love how uninhibited the conversation is in our home. And as we're like preparing in our family and in our home, I mean, August to six and a boy is walking around like talking about periods and talking about bodies. And I feel like with truly our um, neurotypical daughter, who's eight, by the time she's starting her period, there will be nothing embarrassing or she won't feel shy about it because it's just Mason's our starting point. And I think with um, most things in our life, having a child with Down syndrome, we are over communicating everything, right? Yeah. Like we've got yeah. like pictures and we've got the books and we've got the social <laughs> stories and everything has like so much communication as a support and as preparation that that I actually really love and feel like there should be a whole lesson for people raising kids without Down syndrome daughters. Like this is actually how you can make it less embarrassing. Right. Do it like you yeah. would if your kid has Down syndrome. <laughs> if everybody just had more social stories, the whole world would be a better place. 100%. <laughs> I love it. Well, you guys, we are so excited to finally take this subject on. And we've received so many questions about this through Instagram. And we have so many questions of our own. So here today to tell us all the things about puberty and Down syndrome is Dr. Rebecca Partridge. She is a pediatrician who's doing big things for the Down syndrome community thanks to her 17-year-old son, Joshua, who has Down syndrome. And Rebecca also has a 12-year-old daughter named Megan. In 2012, she started the Down Syndrome program at Virginia Mason Medical Center, and since then, the program has grown to nearly 400 participants that receive specialty care and a medical home for their families. And Rebecca also speaks publicly about Down Syndrome and the medical world. She has even given a workshop at the most recent NDSS, the National Down Syndrome Society Adult Summit called Social Skills for Self-Advocates. My I cannot wait for my daughter to take that class. Awesome. Um, Rebecca's also created a four-week welcome to puberty curriculum that she teaches. And we are so happy to discuss these topics with her today and to have her expertise. So Rebecca or Dr. Partridge, but we will call you Rebecca. Welcome mm-hmm. to the Lucky Few Podcast. We're so happy you're here. Thank you so much. I am delighted. I am so excited to talk about my favorite topic, which is not puberty, but is Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Before we jump in, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and where you're from and just all the things so that we can get to know you? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah. That's where my son Joshua was born. Um, He was my first I was so excited to be pregnant and I was so happy and I was 27 and um, I had a prenatal diagnosis with him. And from the moment I first saw him, I, first of all, absolutely fell in love and then, you know, knew I was ready to do anything and push any barriers to make sure that he got what he needed out of the world. So Josh is now 17. He also has a typical sister named Megan. We live just outside of Seattle. We've lived here for about 10 years. And I realized about seven years ago, so when I moved to Seattle, there wasn't a Down syndrome program. Um, You know, there were certainly resources available. And so about seven years ago, I 
it occurred to me, well, why not go ahead and start one? And um, this is, it was definitely a labor of love and it's been so incredibly rewarding to be able to not only provide medical care for families, but to be able to provide that parenting touch as well, to talk about the emotions and the social development um, as I'm raising my son and then to be able to speak to parents as a parent myself, not just as a doctor. So when my son was about 11, um, I realized I was in trouble because puberty was going to start soon. I had been easily been able to kind of ignore it up until then. And it occurred to me that I was going to have to figure out how to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm a single mom as well. So this wasn't something that I could like push off to a husband mm-hmm. or a partner. Um, and as you know, I'm a pediatrician. I understand this science and the anatomy, and I can draw you all sorts of pictures, but that was not going to be helpful at all to my 11-year-old son with Down syndrome when it came to talking about his body and safety and boundaries. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to explain this to him in a meaningful way, and thus the Welcome to Puberty curriculum was born. Amazing. So good. So good. And so we fielded a bunch of questions from our audience. We asked people what their questions were and we got a ton of really great questions and things that I hadn't thought to ask. And I'm like, yes, I need to know the answer to that. So here we go. You ready for all the questions? (laughs) Ready. So one of the first questions we got, and I'm excited to hear about this too, is do people with Down syndrome follow a typical puberty timeline that's expected? That or is, is it different? Question. And I, I get asked that question all the time. And it's usually with a hopeful note in their voice. You know, mm-hmm. my child is delayed in other ways. Does that mean I get the benefit of a delay in puberty? And the answer is no. Unless you have your child has another condition that would delay their puberty, your child is going to go through the exact same physical development steps at exactly the same time as a typical child. Now, I like to think of puberty as not just a physical process. Puberty is also an emotional process and a social process and a psychological process. Some of those developmental milestones may or may not be delayed um, and may come in, a, in a, at a slightly different time, but the physical milestones are exactly the same as a typical child. What is the age that puberty, for onset for puberty right now? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. So for girls, it's a little bit earlier, and there is definitely uh, um, different ethnic groups will start their periods at different times. Um, in general, we think about girls getting their first signs of puberty between 8 and 14, although that's wow. a huge range. Mm-hmm. Um, boys are a little bit wider. Boys are probably more like 10 to 14. But again, there's just such a wide range. It can happen. You know, Some girls are getting their first period um, even as early as 8, wow. um, eight to so 10. Early. The age in the U.S. is 12 and a half. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, how can we explain to our kids with Down syndrome what is happening in their bodies and when is a good time to give them the talk? Yeah. So this ah! was, yeah, <laughs> this, this is what I was dealing with when I realized that I needed to talk to my son. Um, because the, you know, there are programs through the schools. I live in Washington state. There's actually a pretty good program through the schools called the flash curriculum. Um, but it's largely a large group process where the teacher talks and shows pictures. And my son doesn't learn like that. You know, my son can't go to a a two day class about puberty and really get anything out of it Mm. because all our kids really tend to be visual learners, but they're also experiential learners. They learn if they touch and smell and do things with their bodies rather than just being lectured to. So I knew that my son was going to need to learn about puberty in that way as well. And also small teachable moments. You know, again, I can't sit my son down for four hours and give him the puberty talk and have him get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started with my son, um, honestly, later than I probably should have. He was 11, and I had him trapped in the car where he couldn't escape. (laughs) (laughs) That's are good for this. (laughs) I thought, okay, it's time. And so I asked him, I was like, okay, we're going to start at the beginning. Josh, do you know what testicles are? 
And he rolled his eyes and, uh, you know, started reaching for the door, but the car was going. And so I had to remind him he couldn't do that. And he finally answered. He said, yes, mom, that's what Squidward has on SpongeBob. Oh, <laughs> oh shoot. <laughs> You're like, okay, so no, you don't know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we need to go back further and the lesson is done for the day because you have to keep a straight face. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay, so then why? So, you know, I, I think the answer is there's there's no, there's not like, this is a process, it's not an event, okay. right? So, okay. and, and starting early, you know, starting with helping your child learn the, the proper names for their body parts is really important. Helping your child understand what are the private parts of their bodies, which I like the cue that anything that's covered by your swimsuit mm, is a yeah. private part. Yeah. And, and then moving these small teachable moments with repetition. Usually our kids need a lot of repetition. So this is something that, you know, we do this puberty class that's four weeks long, but that's really also just a jumping off point. This is just mm -hmm. a way to get the conversation started with your child, but this is definitely a, a process over several years. Okay. Do you, is there like a too young to start or, or you, or is it like, yeah, is there a too young to start talking about all of that or you just take it as it comes? You know, I know you're going to get, you know, the world according to Rebecca, which is I personally don't think there is a time that's too young. All of these things are normal and healthy. You know, we, of course, temper it with it's also private. Mm -hmm. We talk about those, these things at Safeway, but it's, but also telling your child where it is okay to talk about it. Okay. It's okay to talk about it with your parents and your doctors and your teachers. But I think starting from the very beginning with, uh, the names of body parts, mm -hmm. um, privacy, um, also working into consent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that we ask before we touch people. We don't touch strangers. We don't let strangers touch us. Those kind of yeah. messages, I think, from the very beginning. Okay. And we actually, listeners, we had um, episode 36. We had a conversation with someone named Lindsay Strickland who started a program called Worth the Conversation, mm -hmm. which is about um, body safety for kids with Down syndrome. So you can go back and take a listen to that. Okay. Let's jump into periods because we got so many questions about periods and, um, I'm going to throw a couple things out there and you, then we'll just see where the conversation goes with that. But a lot of people are thinking like, okay, how do we teach our daughters to take care of themselves? Like practical, you know, right. how do we actually teach our kids to use pads? Do we do pads versus tampons? How right. do we teach those skills when we, when we're also dealing with some fine motor and gross motor, um, differences. And then also, what do we do to support kids at school with their periods? How do we make sure that our girls are supported at school when they're on their period? And this one is a good one. And I'm sure everyone has different opinions about it, but letting our girls not have periods or having oh, less periods, taking yeah. medical intervention so that our daughters have less periods or no periods. So those are three big things. Ready, go. And those Ready, are go. Questions that I get in that in my office. So those are, those are perfect questions. So you know, I, I'm going to jump into the first one. So as I find that most families, when they when their child's getting close to puberty, their first question for me is, "Can we just do something to make this so it doesn't happen?" Which mm -hmm. you know, I that thought has occurred to me with my typical daughter as well because it is really really scary. You know, in general, I tell parents, if your child is able to toilet themselves more or less independently, she can manage her own menstrual hygiene. Okay. Um, wow. the, the, now, this is something that our kids need a lot of structure around. You know, for instance, you can tell a typical girl, you know, well, just change your pad when it needs it. Yeah. That doesn't work for our girls. They need more structure. So I find saying things like, you know, change your pad every time you go to the bathroom or change your pad every time the clock says 12. Mm -hmm. but putting, putting structure with it. Um, I also am a big fan and in the puberty class, we actually bring underwear with pads in it. And I have a checklist with pictures of all of the steps that you do to change a pad. Mm -hmm. And we have them practice this in the class and then send them home and have them practice it as well. So that the first time they're doing it isn't a time that's really important. Right. You can also, um, uh, the idea, so put Sharpie marker, Sharpie marks 
in mm -hmm. the underwear so the girls know right where to put the pad. That's good. So that it doesn't end up in the wrong place. And then the there's some uh, period underwear now mm -hmm. that can absorb like a full, basically a full tampons worth of uh, menstrual blood. Amazing. Um, sometimes those are additional, they just kind of give you that extra level of, of well, comfort and control. Totally. Now, my messaging to parents is really that, that menstruation is normal and menstruation mm -hmm. is healthy. Right. And really would I really only suggest suppressing menstruation if the if there's a reason that I would also do that for a typical girl. Right. So if the if a woman with Down syndrome has really heavy unpredictable periods, has severe cramping that's not uh, treatable with other things, those are perfect reasons um, to go ahead and suppress a period. But in general, I say let's let's start preparing your daughter ahead of time, ahead of the time that she needs it, and she's going to do great because we're going to presume competence from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love that. That is awesome. <laughs> I had one family as well, and mom was understandably really nervous. She actually contacted me before the puberty class, and she said, can you please change the curriculum? You can't say blood. You can't. My daughter will just freak out. It'll be mm -hmm. terrible. She can't handle it. So I did modify the curriculum a little bit to say red fluid. Um, and so her, her daughter went through the class, and we talked about periods. And the mom called me because the very next month, her daughter got her period. And she said, she looked down, said, oh, period blood, put a pad in. And that was it. Wow. That was, that was the whole thing. It was over. Awesome. And she just rolled with it. And I thought that like, what a great success story. Cause so much of what we do is how we play it. Right. Totally. How do you, I have a um, question off of this. So like going to school and part of what I love and this is a little repetitive, but what I love about our kids with Down syndrome is their lack of inhibition. And that with, <laughs> with my oldest, we're talking about this and she is not embarrassed about it at all, but her peers might be. And <laughs> so how do I, do you have any tips on how to make sure that I don't shame her in her openness about her body and her, like in development and her period, but that she can't talk about it at school? Cause we, I'll tell her, I mean, I tell her that, like, I'll say, this is, you know, it's, it's unexpected. Your friends, when you talk to your friends about this, and you don't talk to boys about it, but I don't want to put shame there either. Right. Do you have any tools, any tricks? Yeah, you know, this is this is normal and healthy, but it's mm -hmm. also private. Mm -hmm. And you know, as with all kids, often it goes better if we tell them what to do rather mm -hmm. than what not to That's do. Good. Now we have to temper that as well. So who are the people? It's okay to talk to period talk to about periods. Is it okay to talk to mom and dad? Yes. And your doctor. And is it okay to talk to your teacher? Yes. But do we talk to the waitress at Red Robin? Right. <laughs> do that. Do we talk about it? Do we, we don't, and we don't talk to our friends about it too, because it's private, but okay. it's normal and healthy. And I find that that repeated messaging over time, um, you know, in my own kid, like he will right. push that limit totally. um, and then test that limit multiple times. But that repeated messaging, but yep, it's not, it's not bad. It's not dirty, but it's private. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can, I'll start doing a better job at that <laughs> today. <laughs> you got it, Heather. You got it. I have a question, Rebecca. I have recently discovered menstrual cups, like the Diva cup, mm -hmm. which I think is amazing and you don't have to change it all day long. Uh -huh. You can keep it in for 12 hours. Have you found any success for your patients with Down syndrome using menstrual cups? Because that seems to me like it would be a much simpler kind of thing. It's hard to get in, hard to get out. Uh -huh. but, That's what I was thinking. But if, <laughs> yeah. But if that, if they could put it in the beginning of the morning and get it out during the shower at night, that seems like much easier. You know, I think if, if individuals feel like that's something that from a motor standpoint and from a cognitive standpoint that their daughter can um, understand, I, I'm fully supportive of giving it a try. You know, I think lots of typical women need to do a lot of reading and YouTubing and, you know, trying to figure out how to get that in. Yeah, it's a little out. tricky. I haven't had um, women with Down syndrome try it, but again, I'm a big fan of, you know, never say never, never say your kid can't. If you feel like she's ready and she understands it and you can mm. 
um, the best thing to do is going to be able to kind of find some sort of a model to practice, right. then I say, give it a try. The worst that will happen is you end up in my office and I take it out. <laughs> I was going to say, I've, I, I used it for a little while, a little bit ago, like a couple years ago, and I couldn't get the swing of it, Micah. I couldn't get yeah. the diva cup. I just stick to my tried and true tamps. What we need is someone to make an adaptive diva yeah. cup. So even for me. I need an adaptive diva cup. <laughs> um, I, okay, we have another quick, tricky, tricky question here, Rebecca. Um, we've gotten some questions from our listeners asking how to start talking to kids about masturbation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, that feels very tricky, uh, to talk about when and where masturbation should be done and why, and you know, just all of those, that, that seems like something that would be really hard to make a social story about. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? I mean, you got to keep the pictures G-rated. <laughs> that's right. Well, and actually this is one of those situations where I would keep the pictures G-rated, but I would show the pictures. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? But our kids, you can't use euphemisms. You can't talk around it. And our kids being really visual learners, like they need the pictures. And I know we're going to get into resources, but this is one of the many reasons I love Terry Koo and Holden's books is because she has drawings. Um, and those drawings don't pull any punches, but they're accurate and they're real. And it makes it and you know, you're, that way your child knows exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, it's, I think, I, I think masturbation is another thing that again, that starts from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, in the puberty class, we have a little, um, it almost becomes like a song or a chant as far as where is it okay to be naked? There are only four places it's okay to be naked. Bedroom, bathroom, doctor's office, changing room. And we kind of just kind of repeat it over and over again. And I've had parents come back to me and say, my child was chanting it in the back of the car, um, which I think is fantastic because they're internalizing that message. But from, you know, because our kids, you know, all kids run around naked, which is normal. Right. Our kids do it longer than other kids. And I realized it was becoming a problem when I had to set a rule at our house that you have to wear underwear to the dinner table. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I had to, had to kind of lay down the line. There are only four places it's okay to be naked. And I think that's the first step. And that way, you know, if my son wanted to be naked or pull his pants down, that's fine, but it has to be in the bedroom or the bathroom. Those are the only two places. And you know, of course, he's testing that from the very beginning. You know, sometimes he will try to walk from the bedroom to the bathroom, and I actually make him go back and put something on over himself. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first step because, you know, kids exploring their bodies and learning about their bodies, that's completely normal, but we also, we have to set limits around it. Right. And as long as, the, you know, as long as you're in your bedroom or your bathroom, and also, you know, if you want to touch the private parts of your body, because we, I don't want my son out there, you know, scratching and adjusting, right? you know, at, um, at the gym, then right. you have to do that in the bedroom or the bathroom or the changing room. Um, going along with that, I wonder, okay, so my question is, and I wonder if that could kind of go along with it is, do you see any... Um, repeated challenges um, when it comes to puberty for people with Down syndrome. And I don't know why, but I just thought that might kind of be a challenge. Like, when is it appropriate to like touch, not touch, you know, pushing mm -hmm. the boundaries, being a little silly and maybe going back to body parts to be silly. I don't know. I could just see that because, um, I don't, my boys are young, but I feel like they're always trying to push the boundaries just to be funny. Absolutely. And the, the thing <laughs> is, that's, that's a parenting thing. That's not a Down syndrome specific. Right. Right. You know, all kids love potty talk and all kids, especially if it gets a laugh, they're, they're going to do it. And 
you know, it's really hard as a parent and as a doctor to sometimes keep a straight face. Um, but especially as they're getting older, you just kind of have to like make sure they toe that line, um, that that's not acceptable. My philosophy with my son from pretty early on has been what's cute when you're eight will get you arrested when you're 18. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, now that he's actually 18, if he runs around and pulls his pants down or, you know, tries to hug a cute girl he doesn't know, like, right. that actually yeah. gets real trouble. Right. And so I've had to make, and it's so hard because our kids are so social and I love that about them. And they have so much love to give the world. But, you know, it's really in his best interest for me to kind of nip that in the bud um, totally. and to make sure, you know, though that repeated message, like, nope, that's only for your bedroom or the bathroom. Nope. Right. Only for your bedroom in the bathroom. Right. I find myself even doing that for my, my boys who are neurotypical with, they are big underwear only lovers too. And, but when we have friends over reminding them, Hey, let's put some pants and a t-shirt on. Mm -hmm. Because Sunflower, too, she loves to just be in her underwear. And I I am a little bit more, like, discreet with her, though. I'm like, no, saying let's put a shirt on or let's put a dress on and not to build shame. But I do want her to protect herself. And I want mm -hmm. her to want to be modest, too, a little bit. You know, I just want that. Because I'm thinking long term, I'm going to want you to be modest as well. So I don't know. Absolutely. I'm guessing. You know, with my son, so fortunately, we have gone to the point where he consistently even wears shorts to the dinner table. So right. we've But that, you know, the if you're outside of your bedroom or your bathroom, then the private parts of your the the parts of your body that are covered by a swimsuit have to be covered. Okay. And once your child can cognitively understand that, you right. know, I don't expect your three year old to totally. be internalizing that message. But if you know, you always have to have your swimsuit parts covered. I really like that. That's a smart one. <laughs> it is. And it's so it simple. Is. It's it's not overcomplicating things. It's just saying, saying it mm -hmm. how it is. Makes sense. The other thing that I realized I wasn't doing as a parent was I was uh, walking into closed rooms. I wasn't knocking. I wasn't necessarily even closing my own door because, you know, there's not a point at which you realize, oh, a switch has flipped. I need to start being private. So I had to kind of force myself to slow down and to start um, making sure his door was closed if he was changing and knocking and waiting for him to respond and modeling for him the behavior that I wanted to see from him, even though it feels really artificial. And it took, you know, it took a while, like it probably took 18 months for him to really internalize it. But that's, I want him to understand that I respect his privacy um, as well and that he can expect everybody else on the planet to respect his privacy. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I haven't practiced that yet. Knocking on doors. Yeah, it's hard. I knock on my 11 year old's door and then I just open oh, it. Yeah. I knock and I don't wait. <laughs> it's a flow. It's just a knock and open. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only halfway right. there. <laughs> so Rebecca, a lot of our children are still pretty little. Um, what, what can we do now to start preparing them for puberty? You've already talked a little bit about how we can be having these conversations, pointing out body parts, giving them the, the, proper language. Um, is there anything else that we should start doing? And are there any resources that you can tell our listeners about? Absolutely. So, you know, I think in addition to talking about the body parts um, and talking about privacy is, you know, offering, so we don't want to offer our kids choices, like if they're genuinely isn't a choice, like if your child still wears diapers and they have they need a diaper change, like whether or not they get a diaper change isn't a choice, but reminding them that who, about who is in charge of their body. I find oftentimes, like I sometimes see 13 and 14 year olds with Down syndrome and I ask them, who's in charge of your body? And they say, they'll, they'll say that their parent is, and no, you're in charge of your body. Um, offering choices when you can, 
especially if it has to do with bodily autonomy, but really internalizing for them that message that they are in charge of their own body. Um, I also really like their, and this was developed for the autism community. It's called the circles curriculum. And it has to do with the different people in our world and how it's okay for them to touch us and for us to touch them with the child, mm -hmm. him or herself at the center. And then it goes out um, as the relationship becomes more distant. So at the outside, it's strangers. You know, and with our kids, you have to you have to call it who is a stranger because our kids are so social. You know, a stranger is just you know once I once I have said hi and I know your name, you're not a stranger anymore, right? Um, but that we don't touch strangers and strangers don't touch us, um, and that I think also helps because there's also this layer of community helpers in our kids. You know, our kids right. might. Yeah. an assistant in the bathroom or have an EA in the classroom or a bus driver and how it's okay for that person to touch me and how it's not. Right. My son, I've had to set some really clear limits, you know, as far as we only kiss people in our family. Mm. We only, and with my son, we only front hug people in our family right. and that, but giving him other options like your friends at school, it's okay to do a side hug or a fist bump. Or I had a teacher uh, this last week describe a hand hug where they put their hands together and hug their hands. Cute. So giving your child an idea of how they can express affection, which is right. really important. I kind of believe our kids need touch the same way they need air. Um, but also setting those limits that like, no, we don't front hug strangers. We you know, we don't front hug, you know, now that my son's 18, we don't front hug our teachers. Mm. We don't, you know, and in my office, it's so difficult when a kid comes to me with great big wide arms, but that's when I like bend down and do double fist bumps and right. double high fives because I want to show affection, but also we don't hug our doctors. Yeah. And so I think those are really helpful messages to institute early about touch because it's so much easier to teach it from the beginning than try to instill it later. Right. And go back. I, I really love that also because my daughter speech is hard for her. So I noticed that she goes to physical touch just to express like joy that she's seeing you or to say hello or to, I don't know. I think it's just another way of um, speaking. So I, <laughs> I've tried to yeah. And still more like, like if you're a stranger and you, even if it's the mailman and I say hi to you, she'll run and like hug the mailman. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't we give him a high five? And sometimes she gets there before I do, but yeah. like, I'm just trying to do it now. And I know it's because really in her heart, she wants to be like, hi, how are you? I'm excited to see you, you know, but that's a lot for her to try to express because of her, just speech limitations. Like I, I feel that sense. So I could see how our friends with Down syndrome, that could be an easy go-to, just the hugging mm -hmm. and the touching, <laughs> just to express joy. Well, and I think it's important to give them a way to express that because that yeah. is such a lovely part of their personality. Right. But again, you know, I am terrified as the mother of an 18 year old. I'm yes. like, <laughs> and a boy. Yeah, I know. You and a boy. More, yeah, yeah I know. Is is, you know, instilling in him that, you know, what, what is not just going to keep other people safe, but what's going to keep him safe. 100%. And have you seen, okay. Cause then as a mother of a girl with Down syndrome who has limited speech, like I have really big fears of her being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. So I really like starting the conversation early, but have you seen that kind of I guess that's just a typical conversation between having daughters and sons, like making sure your sons are being appropriate to protect themselves from <laughs> miscommunication and for girls to um, teach them how to protect themselves so they're not taken advantage of. But have you had that conversation a lot between parents with who have daughters compared to parents who have sons? If that makes sense, like, does that seem like a common worry on both sides? 
It does. And, you know, on the one hand, it makes me a tiny bit nervous because our boys are vulnerable too. And I really, you know, our first instinct is on the one hand, how do we find that balance between protecting our kids, but not also instilling in them a big sense of fear? Right. I have some, I take care of adults with Down syndrome as well. And I have some who, you know, when it's time to do their um, exam under their underwear, about half the time they are so terrified um, that they refuse to do it, which it's it's a okay. challenge because they need to get medical care. Um, and that's actually a really important part of their medical care. And then I have the other half of the time, they're more than happy to drop their trousers. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to explain to them that, you know, this is, and I always ask permission right. in the office before right. I do this exam. And I always explain it's only okay because you're in the doctor's office with a parent. Right. Um, but how you know how do we find that balance for both our boys and our girls so that they understand that this isn't a scary part of your body, but it's a private part of your body, right. and so allow them to get medical care. Um, but I do see more. And, and sometimes parents will come to me and say, well, I want my child, my daughter on birth control so no one takes advantage of her, which my, my response is typically, I totally understand it, but that actually doesn't stop her from being taken advantage of. How right. can we instill her with the tools to, yeah. to prevent this and if something were to happen, how to report it? Right. Hmm. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned, you mentioned circles, which you said is in the autism community. It's a, it's a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> curriculum. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what about, do you, is your curriculum available for the, the four week course you teach? You know, my, my curriculum, I am happy to share um, what I can. So though it's, it's very experiential based. So there are, we show pictures and we talk through some things, but then it's really activity based. We do lots of art projects. We have the child lay down on paper and have the parent trace their body. And then we have them draw the parts of their body that will change with puberty. And we practice putting pads in and out of underwear. So if people have individual questions, please don't hesitate to send it to me. Um, because I'm, I'm more than happy to also give you tons of ideas. And I got a lot of ideas from Terry Kuenhoven's books. So she has parenting book that's called teaching uh, people with down syndrome about their bodies boundaries and sexuality that's a great reference book for parents and educators and has a lot of great pictures in the back and then she's written a book for boys and a book for girls the girl's guide to growing up and the boy's guide to growing up that has a lot of structure and has again a lot of pictures and covers not just you know periods and body changes but it also covers safety and consent And then her most recent book is called, I think it's Boyfriends and Girlfriends, and it goes into dating and sex and consent and relationships. And that's actually the next curriculum I want to develop um, because my son needs it. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything seems to be triggered by the fact that, oh my goodness, we're there. How do I I teach him? You're trailblazing. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're seriously, we are so grateful. Um, well, we will have links to all of all of those things that you've mentioned, Rebecca, um, in our show notes, so all our listeners can go find them. And um, Rebecca, we're just so grateful that you were willing to be with us here today. Um, we feel like there's you just have given us so much valuable information. And um, before we head out, we would love for you to stick around with us for good news, if you don't mind. Um, We're going to take a quick little break, and then we'll hop back in for some good news. Today's episode is sponsored by Jonas Paul Eyewear, stylish kids' glasses with an impact. Mercedes, I know you know about style and your babies are the coolest. 
You know it. So tell us how cute these glasses are. Okay, listen. It's so hard to find on-trend glasses for kids, and these are the cutest glasses I've seen. Yes, and have you ever used a home try-on kit for glasses? No, but it sounds super fun, and I feel like your kids get to play dress-up. We have Jonas Paul glasses, and this past year, Brooksy, my eight-year-old, needed glasses, so we got a home try-on kit from Jonas Paul. Brooksy loves looking good. He actually legit wore a bow tie all on his own for picture day. Having a kid at home was perfect for him. They sent us seven frames and he had a week to walk around in them and make his own opinion. And it was really nice to not have that quick, we have 10 minutes in a store and there's fluorescent lights and we need to decide feeling. When he picked his frame, we put our order in online and we shipped the box of trial glasses back with the free shipping label provided. Super easy. So you have Jonas Paul glasses at your house and you know what? So does Heather. Yeah, that's right. Mason has them. She's worn Jonas Paul glasses for a couple of years now. We all know that getting glasses to fit on our kids with Down syndrome can be difficult. There's a flatter nose bridge that our kids have and lower set ears, and that can make getting glasses to fit a challenge. Here's the thing about Jonas Paul. Their nose pads are designed specifically for children's noses. They also have these unique adjustable tips that you can bend for a custom fit. So you can make it fit to your child's perfect little face. These glasses are so affordable, half the price of most of the children's glasses out there. Plus, here's the best part, every frame sold prevents childhood blindness in the developing world. It's so great. You know that Jonas Paul now sells glasses for teenagers and our kids are growing up. They're growing up fast and we are gonna need those teenager sizes before we know it. For first time customers, Jonas Paul is offering 15% off. Use the promo code THELUCKYFEW at checkout. Visit their website, jonaspauleyewear.com to learn more. All right, we are back. And as our listeners know, every week we ask everyone out there to share some good news about what they are celebrating in the lives of their loved ones with Down syndrome. And we call it good news. Hey, hey, good news. <laughs> hey, good news. Good, good news. news. Good, good news. news. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> I love it. Going with some classic yes. today. Um, um, so yeah, we're, we would love to know Rebecca, um, if there's anything that you are celebrating in the life of your son this week. So my son loves basketball and he plays on a unified Special Olympics team. And he last week was so nervous to play, he could barely even participate. And he said, mom, if I get a basket, can we go get tacos? And I said, no, <laughs> if you try. If you just try, you, we can go tacos. And he broke out in the biggest smile and ran back into the game and sunk a three-pointer. What? So oh, I was three-pointers are his thing, but I was so proud of him for for trying. Yes. Um, that I didn't care if he made a basket or not. It was great that he did, but right. that was confidence booster, but he did something that was difficult yes. and he went and tried and I was so proud of him for that. Oh my goodness. I love that. Thank you for sharing your good news. Um, and we get to go right now to listen to some of our listeners. Good news. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is Rebecca and I am from Northeast Ohio. I wanted to give good news about my friend, Michael, who invited me to a Christmas concert that he was ushering. And this is good news because he um, usually doesn't really talk to a lot of people. And his mom was so excited that when I came into their family owned shop that um, he asked me and said, oh, Becca, I forgot to tell you um, that I have a Christmas concert and you should come. Um, so it was a wonderful time and I'm so excited that Michael and I are friends and I love listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye. 
Hi, ladies. I love your podcast. I just wanted to leave you a message about some good news. My name is Amanda, and I coordinate the special needs ministry at my church in Columbus, Ohio. And last month, um, at the end of October, we got to baptize a 12-year-old boy named Micah who has Down syndrome. And it was just amazing. He answered all of the questions about why he wanted to get baptized, and he knew exactly what he was doing. And when he got out of the water, he put his little hands up and just cheered like he had just done a touchdown pass. And it was awesome and um, even better than a touchdown pass. And our just our congregation really celebrated him and his family. So that is just amazing news. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. That is amazing good news. And we're always so, so thankful to hear from you listeners out there. Um, We love hearing from families and getting to know them. And we are starting a new um, format for our good news where we are going to hear from a family of the week every week. So special thanks to that family for sharing. Um, as always, friends, we want to hear about your good news with your loved ones with Down syndrome. So leave us a voicemail at 424-442-9147 and share your good news. And if you have a product or business that wants to help us shop the worth of people with Down syndrome, then we would love to partner with you. You can email hello at theluckyfewpodcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. We want to give a huge thank you to our editor and producer, Andy Lara, to our co-producer, Val Schleter, um, our sponsor, and to all of you who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends and who have listened faithfully and cheered us on. And thank you so much to Rebecca Partridge for being with us today. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca, so much. It's so nice to meet you, and I really appreciate all the work you're doing for our community. You're an awesome mama. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about Down syndrome. It's my favorite topic. (laughs) Awesome. And uh, we are so thankful for you listeners out there. Put on, gird yourself and go out there and talk to your children about bodies and, (laughs) and puberty and all of the things. You can do it. And remember... Dear listener, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shout of work and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. We can't wait to see you guys next, or at least hear you guys next week <laughs> on the Lucky Few Podcast. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Lucky Few Podcasts. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. You can also support the show now via anchor.fm just by going to the website, scroll down to the bottom, and you can begin your support right now. Lastly, send us your good news by going to theluckyfewpodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time.